This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ping.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of this Friday? Well, my guest is a phenomenal gentleman by the name of Chris Coffee. Chris Coffee is very driven in helping successful leaders get even better and uniquely masterful in working with hard-nosed leaders. As he worked with Marshall Goldsmith for over three decades, he is also a major contributor to the development of Marshall Stakeholder-Centered Coaching Methodology. As an executive coach, he has impacted the professional lives and careers of high-level executives, and his use of well-placed humor and irony Chris's charisma inspires positive and forward-looking solutions and turning challenges into opportunities. Chris is exceptionally gifted in telling powerful stories and cases in which he integrates management theory and best leadership practices and wraps this into actionable bundles of change. His style is personable, yet direct and grounded, bringing accountability and perspective into the coaching process. An astute and appealing communicator and executive coach, Chris brings the best of his deep and diverse background to clients. His experiences in life and leadership have left the indelible mark of knowing what leaders can control and what they have to let go to achieve great business results and professional success. At the start of his collaboration with Marshall, Chris took part in the development of the highly successful Excellent Manager Program for the IBM. This flagship leadership development program for IBM was later adopted by various other firms like Warner Lambert, Citibank, Apple, and various other Fortune 500 companies. Later on, Chris co-founded Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder Center Coaching with Frank Wagner and Marshall Goldsmith. Chris is dedicated to engage high-performing leaders whose organizations want to accelerate their development. Chris's coaching style is straightforward and is built around nourishing the behaviors of successful people. Naturally curious and a lifelong learner, Chris has the ability to take in the whole and synthesize out the essential. The underpinning of his coaching developed from this ability to understand the belief set 
of successful people and then determine how successful people get even better. Chris tailors this insight combined with coaching skill, creating a custom developmental process, advancing the positive aspects of leaders' beliefs while overcoming the aspects that hold them back in order to assure measurable and sustainable growth. Chris is the author of the bestseller, Secrets of a Leadership Coach Guidebook, along with Marshall Goldsmith and Daniel Farb. This work imparts wisdom from executive coaches to help increase personal and communication skills, resulting in better leadership, personal interactions, and team building. His newest book, The New IQ, sorry, New IQ, Leadership Through Innovative Questions, is centered around Peter Drucher's philosophy of leader of the past, knew how to tell the leader of the future, will know how to ask. Leaders learn the skills of using various types of questions and statements that will help them change the course of interactions, engage in more productive conversations, and create the impact they are looking for. Quote from Marshall, my partner, Chris Coffey, helps individuals and teams achieve and sustain outstanding results. In addition, he is clearly one of the world's best keynote speakers and trainers in the area of coaching, leadership, development, and teamwork. He provides a rare combination of being entertaining and dynamic, which providing advice and stories from extensive coaching experiences that is both practical and applicable. He is a person that I trust to lead the training process for our behavioral coaches. Again, quote from Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. Chris, what an intro. What a bio. What a repertoire. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm fine. I, I was <laughs> listening to all of that. And I thought, who wrote Who's, this? Who is that guy? <laughs> who is? Oh, yeah, that's me. That's my name. That's my CV. Well, listen. It, cer- it, certainly, wasn't, it certainly wasn't any of my high school teachers. I know that. So... Uh... <laughs> Well, I just want to, for the benefit you know, of, uh, yes, I just want you know, to, for the, I, 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 I jotted on a couple of things, you know, personal and direct. I thought, well, okay, that's the New York City kid in me. They just used positive words to describe me. And, well, uh, there you go. You know, uh, the <laughs> irony is, well, what about sarcasm? Well, that's the opposite of that, too. So right. it was interesting listening to that uh, uh, preamble of, uh, of, of who I am. So. Well, it's a lovely preamble, and congratulations <laughs> and kudos to you on all of that. But before we dive in here, Chris, I just want to give a little bit of lay of the land for the global loyal listeners here and the podcast subscribers. So this is not only, uh, I mean, for many reasons, I'm super grateful and excited to have you here today. But this is near and dear to my heart in light of the fact, um, just to reiterate to the listening audience, we are now partnered um, with sponsorship here for Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald uh, with the Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder Center Coaching. And so inadvertently, you are now one of my tangible mentors. And I just want to say how deeply honored I am. I had the privilege of interviewing on two separate occasions, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, one here on my platforms. And secondly, uh, with a co-host, Mitchell Levy, we did a legacy series. So I've had the honor of interfacing with uh, Marshall twice. And you and I have had quite a few conversations in the background. So I just want to lay that out here for the listening audience, why this is particularly uh, pivotal for me and near and dear to my heart. So thank you for believing in me. Thank you for believing in my platforms and thank you for taking me under your wing. I really appreciate it, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Okay, so let's just dive right in here. So I want to know, and again, this is unscripted, it's organic. I think it makes for much more authentic conversations. But one thing I typically do start off in asking all my guests is what was the inception of your journey? You know, as, as a person growing up, was there something pivotal, fundamental that had happened in your life that kind of navigated you on the trajectory of what we would now glean as your successful career? Or you walk us through the inception of your journey. Well, uh, that's a fascinating question. I would say if there was anything, I I was uh, Marshall, uh, Marshall, Frank and myself were roughly the same age. So we're all products of the 60s. I mean, we came of age during the 60s, which was a very tumultuous time. We think about where we are today, what's going on politically. We're a divided country and all that business. But, you know, having, you know, uh, my graduating class from college was 1968, Democratic Convention, all of that sort of business. Vietnam, uh, I dealt with all of that, you know, was in the Navy. And it was interesting. I, I never knew what I wanted to do. I was clear on what I did not want to do. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about just working in corporate America and this and that, it didn't intrigue me. Everybody always thought I was going to be an attorney. And uh, I thought I'd be an attorney. It just made sense. You know, I had won the, de- the I was a, on the debating team in prep school. I, uh, uh, I won the elocution contest. I mean, these were things that I was pretty good at. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got out of the Navy and uh, I decided I was going to be a ski bum for a couple of years. <laughs> and I, you know, I, uh, I moved to Vermont and I moved to Aspen. I went to Cape Cod in the summer and I was, Pretty much, that, that's what I did. And, uh, and then I, I wandered into the acting business uh, with no background at all in, in, uh, in the early 70s and uh, moved to New York. I moved back to California uh, and I was doing a film for 20th Century Fox. And I met Joe Kilty, who was the managing partner at the Center for Leadership Studies. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met Marshall and Frank Wagner. And I started to teach situational leadership. Now, these were all PhD college professors, all of them, Hersey Blanchard, uh, all of them, not Mm -hmm. me. But they saw something in me. They, you know, as years went by, they said, you know, you're smart and you can learn to do this. And so it was a seminal event in my life. All of a sudden, and my senior, my senior uh, teacher in in, in prep school uh, always said I was going to be a teacher. And I just laughed at him. I said, I'm a teacher. You know, I thought he meant teach fourth grade math or something. I had right. no concept. And that's what I am today. And Marshall, yes, Frank, and Hersey all took me under their wing, you know, almost 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I started to teach situational leadership and then the excellent manager and DNA of teams. And so for 20 years, Marshall, Frank, and I basically did stand up training. That's what we did. Uh, you know, for Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies, like you said in the introduction, IBM, FedEx, uh, Warner Lambert, you know, Citibank, all of those companies. Mm-hmm. And then in the late 90s, and so I had found my place, and I loved it. And uh, in the late, in the, in the mid-90s, I get a, Marshall and I reconnected, because Frank, and I, Frank Wagner and I started our business in 1986 and uh, you know and, and we went i was a single father and all of that business so uh marshall called about coaching 24 people uh and he asked me if i would take four of them at agile and technologies that was splitting off from hewlett packard mm-hmm. and i said well coach them to do what 
<laughs> he said, I don't know. We'll make it up as we go. But, you know, and if you project back, that's when Jack Walsh was leaving GE. Mm-hmm. We had all worked in GE. And GE was reported to be three deep at the top 300 spots in the company. And everybody said, how did Jack Walsh do that? Well, coaching was a big piece of it. Linda mm-hmm. Sharkey ran the program. Uh, they got intrigued with how Marshall was coaching. And uh, we were making it up as we went. And that's how it all, the coaching really started right around the late, in the late 90s. And then the rest is history. Beautiful. So, okay, well, let, know, me, let, me, let me ask you this then, Chris, because, you know, we've all come across people in our lives. And I mean, this is, you know, full circle moment for me because you and Marshall saw something in me and you took me under your wing. And you know, I do not have a PhD. Uh, yes, we do similar things in the space, granted at a different level. But in order for Frank Wagner and for Marshall Goldsmith to have seen something in you, yes, that's lovely for that to be reinforced. But did you already innately know for what you had endeavored to do? I mean, because going into acting and doing all the other things that you were embarking upon prior to that, that demonstrates an innate inherent ability uh, or uh, an insight and a foresight for for self-confidence and for believability, deservability, knowing that you have that within you. Don't know where it's going necessarily. Don't know how it's all going to align. But you had that core fundamental belief within yourself. And so when Frank and and Marshall saw something in you, did that just kind of underscore, humbly speaking, not arrogantly speaking, but did that just underscore, okay, somebody does see who I really am because I do see that in myself as well? Well, very interesting. I I grew up, uh, I grew up poor. I grew Mm -hmm. up in a city project in in a little town in Connecticut. my parents sacrificed to send me to a Jesuit prep school, which I kicked and screamed and didn't really want to do. Uh, <laughs> I was certainly a better athlete than I was a student. Mm-hmm. And I got through and, and, and everything else. And then John McLaughlin, who the McLaughlin group on television, uh, was my senior uh, homeroom teacher. And I had him for uh, English. I had him for theology. I had him for three courses. Mm-hmm. He, he was the one that said, you're going to be a teacher. Well, he got me on the debating team, and uh, he, he challenged me to get on it, and I thought I was pretty good at that. I like to argue. I mean, I always did. I mean, you know, <laughs> the Irish Catholic in me, just, you know, let's argue. Right. And, uh, and so uh, I think what they saw in me was somebody who was smart. You know, you can learn. I mean, most people can learn most things. You know, you don't need 180 IQ to do what we do. Right. It's, that's, the, you know, I, you know that I'm not winning the Nobel Prize in physics. <laughs> uh, but I would say the number one thing for doing leadership workshops at a senior level is to be able to get in front of, you know, senior leaders and companies for mm-hmm. two, two and a half day programs, which is what we did, mm-hmm. and not bore them to death. Right. Yeah, you're teaching them something, but you know, you can get it. You, you can, you could have written 10 books and, you know, have three PhDs, but if you're boring, you know, branch managers from IBM, they right. don't care how smart you are, what you're doing. So the skill that they saw in me was somebody who had the desire to do this. Now you have to remember, I was 30, you know, I was in my early thirties when mm-hmm. this all started. You know, I'd wandered through being a ski bum and uh, an actor and all of that sort of business. Uh, and uh, but I'll tell you one quick story. I met William Devane in New York when he was shooting Marathon Man. And I said to him, I'm just starting to be an actor. He, uh, any advice? 
Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, yeah. And he, and he pointed across the street to Laurence Olivier, you know, arguably the greatest English speaking actor yes. of, you know, of, of our time. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, you don't have to be that good. Wow. Thought, wow. Interesting. And then he said, do you watch television? I said, a little bit, but not much. He said, do you see anything on that you don't think you can do? And I said, no. He said, get an agent, audition for everything. He said, too many actors talk themselves out of things. Yes. Well, I can't do this, or I need a better picture, or I don't have enough of a resume. My resume was totally made up. I had just wandered into the business. <laughs> and I talked my way into an agent look and said, you know, okay, you know, let's, let's see what you got. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I, I stayed in that business for five years, and I was always in the top 5% of earners. And I think it was the, you know, I, the, the camera liked me. And it didn't intimidate me. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the acting class, uh, creating a character. And I think that's a skill that I bring to my coaching because I really get into what's the behavior. So if somebody says my goal is to you know, do a better job of collaborating, mm-hmm. I said, well, what are you going to do more of? Less of, start doing, stop doing. And I said, well, I got to treat people with respect. I said, well, that's a goal. That's not a behavior. Right. What do you got to do? And so I'm like a director in lots of ways mm-hmm. of saying, well, you know, what'd you do? What was the impact they had on somebody? Hmm, I don't really know. So really getting people to think about, I, I mean, an actor, I mean, as Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage. So, you know, Absolutely. all these books on leadership, leadership is nothing more than how, can you influence somebody to do what you want them to do? Mm-hmm. So if you're on that stage, they don't care about your reviews or in front of a camera. Are you able to hold an audience and do you add value so that somebody at the end doesn't say, boy, what a waste of time this was. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, uh, and, you know, I, I, I was always told growing up, you can be anything you want to be. Now, nobody ever really emphasized that I'm going to have to work for it. So right. when I got the opportunity to do this, you know, mm-hmm. I could just call, sort of thought manifest destiny. Here I am. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I went into the acting business. Well, what I learned about this, and again, Marshall, Frank, Tim Boone, Frank, uh, uh, Paul Hersey, all of them, they gave me stuff to read. And for the first time in my life, I really became a student and enjoyed Beautiful. it. Beautiful. And so I think today, what I really enjoy in terms of the coaching, because th- I mean, that's basically what I do. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I coach and is really watching people grow and develop and get excited about it. And I'm talking about senior VPs, C-suite people that'll come and say, let me tell you what happened when I did this today. Just teaching people simple things to do. Fantastic. Fantastic. And have the discipline to do it. Yeah. Well, if we go back to the bio, because I want to impress upon the, the level and the stature of coaching that you're doing, because in the space, you know, many of us, personal growth, personal development, people who are immersed in it, you know, everyone's a coach. It's oversubscribed. It's oversaturated. Everybody's a coach. Everybody's a leader. Everybody's a thought leader. Everybody's an agent of change. Everybody's all these things. But when we break it down to, uh, you know, let's critically think about this. Let's deduce things and find out what from a discerning standpoint, makes people in the elite level where other people is just kind of like the flavor of the month way to brand ourselves or whatever the case may be. So when we go back to the bio here, Chris, and it says that you work uniquely 
sorry, let me go back. So helping successful leaders get even better and uniquely masterful in working with hard-nosed leaders. So let's talk about the differentiation between somebody coming off the street who, you know, they, they want to get unstuck in their life versus people who are already unstuck, but they want to truly take things vertical. They want to leverage, they want to scale, and they want to really step into it even more so than what they're already seemingly doing. So let's describe the type of client, the hard-nosed leaders who are synergistically a good fit for who you're doing what you do with. There's two types. Okay. There's two types. You could take the you could take the um, uh, you know thirty eight or forty year old hotshot who's really good and mm-hmm. everybody knows their future is very bright mm-hmm. and behaviorally they're terrific mm-hmm. yeah no issues but they want to shorten their learning curve right how do you you know I love when somebody says to me well this will come with time my response to that is. The only thing that comes with time is age. Yeah. <laughs> Wisdom does not come with time. We all know True. old fools who make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Love so, it. So, you know, so the key is how do you help shorten somebody's learning curve? Mm-hmm. And I can use sports as an example. I mean, if you want to be a better golfer, uh, I'm a good golfer. And 10 years ago, I decided to see how good I could become. Mm-hmm. And I shot, you know, I mean, I, you know, if, you, if you're a golfer at all, you'll know that, I mean, I would go out and shoot 95 or 100 and I'd move the ball around and I'd do all of that. And I probably played two or three times a year when I was invited. Mm-hmm. And te- about 10 years ago, I said, you know what? My two passions athletically are golf and skiing. And I want to see how good I can get at both mm-hmm. with the limited time I have. You know, I have a family and I got to work and all of that. And I got to coach in both. My ski coach is three-time world champ, and he and I ski together. And he's taught me to go from a, a good intermediate to truly somebody that skis anything at any speed under control. Mm-hmm. I ski with him. I ski with several people in the Ski Hall of Fame. Uh, golf. I've gone from shooting, you know, 95 to 100. If I don't break 80 now, it's not a good day for me. Mm-hmm. But I've worked at it. I've, when I say worked at it, I've put time into it. Yeah. What's the difference between work and play? They're both activities. And if you enjoy doing one, uh, I never enjoyed practicing golf. Never did it. And part of the reason was I didn't know what to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, you need good instruction yes. from somebody. And then it becomes repetitive. You can mm-hmm. watch all of the Butch Harmon golf tapes you want. And understand it. And that's the big difference. What training is in corporations is understanding. They teach you good things. But if you don't go out and practice it, and practice it, and really start to be able to observe your own behavior, just like a golf swing. Why'd the ball go left? Why'd the ball go right? Are you able to correct mistakes you made, or are you just lucky when you hit a good shot? Mm -hmm. And it's the same type of thing. So you got the person that you can shorten their learning curve. The second one is, and I get a lot of these, the bullies, the narcissists, the people that think they're the smartest person in the room, and <laughs> everybody to know it and believe it. And I think it's the New York City kid in me that's good with these people. Yeah. It's good with these people. And I, we have a unique value proposition also, Frank, Marshall, myself, and a couple dozen others, the coaches that we work with, uh, that's not a requirement for stakeholder center coaches, but for anybody that would hire me, 
Mm-hmm. The only, and I've had over 200 engagements, individual engagements, in the past 20 years. I don't get paid until the end of an engagement. Mm-hmm. And I only get paid if the person that I'm working with has improved, as seen by the 10 or 12 individuals that we call stakeholders who were engaged at the beginning of this process. And Fantastic. as we move into this interview, I will, I will explain a, a bit more about that. Mm-hmm. So when I interview for a job, I'm interviewing them. The worst thing, I, the worst mistake coaches make is thinking I can get this adult to change even if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. That's a fool's errand, mm-hmm. especially a successful person. Very true. You know, so, you know, and, and we can get into when doesn't this process work? So I tell people right up front, this process takes courage. It takes discipline and it takes some humility. Mm-hmm. Now, let me describe those, I'll say to them. Courage. You're going to pick something you want to work on. I'm going to interview a dozen people. I'm going to ask them, what are your strengths? What are areas you could improve? What do they think the most important thing for you to improve is? And what suggestions would they give you? And from that, you're going to pick one or two leadership skills to improve. For instance, for example, I'm going to delegate more effectively. I'm going to collaborate more effectively. Mm-hmm. I'm going to challenge the status quo. I'm going to provide more positive recognition. I'm going to deal with accountability problems. And all of this, you pick these based upon either the interviews or a 360 or performance appraisals. But at the front end, they have to pick a couple things. Mm-hmm. Now, companies today, unlike in the past, often having a coach as a badge of honor. They're investing in me. Yes. It's not cheap. It's nope. not cheap. And so I tell people, you're going to pick a couple things. I'm going to interview them all, uh, all these people. From that, you'll, you'll pick something. Collaborate, delegate, treat people with respect, build trust, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. That's a goal. It's not a behavior. And then we're going to enroll the stakeholders. So people who you work with, peers, direct reports, certainly your boss, around a dozen of them. And we're, you're going to have to tell them what you've committed to work on. That's unique. That's part of the uniqueness mm-hmm. of stakeholder-centered coaching process. you got to have the courage to say, as good as I am, this is one thing I want to get better at. I need to do a better job of you know, treating people with respect and building trust by collaborating effectively. Brilliant. It's a goal. Yeah. So now you've told people. Then we ask those people for suggestions. We've gotten mm-hmm. a bunch in the 360, but now that you've picked the specific thing you're going to work on, we get suggestions and we mm-hmm. build the action plan mm-hmm. person I'm working with and myself based on those suggestions. Then you have to be willing to share that action plan with those stakeholders and say, hold me accountable to do this. Fantastic. That puts fear and trepidation. In <laughs> hearts. Yeah. And I tell people, if you're not willing to do that, hire another coach. Love it. Love it. Okay, well, I, I need to ask you this then, Chris. So I have a couple of simultaneous questions. I'll try and see if I can hold them both without dropping one here. So because you're used to working specifically with people who would already be characterized and their portfolio would su- support staunchly that they are true leaders, they do have a record of uh, demonstrated success. 
Now, I know every client that comes to you is unique. We're all wired quite differently. But have you, in your experience for doing this, have you noticed some kind of uh, common denominator or commonality between what would be the perceivable deficit or the area that more so behaviorally needs to be turned into a leadership skill strength with all of your clients? Yes, yes. The people we work with, you know, well, let me, let me give you my little elevator speech. Okay. Somebody says, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I say, well, I help successful people have a positive change in behavior that's sustainable and that's recognized and acknowledged by others. Now, if you listen to the verbs in there, I work mm-hmm. with, in the adjectives, I work with successful people, yep. you know, to, uh, to have a, a positive change in behavior mm-hmm. that's sustainable and that's recognized and acknowledged by others. There's a mouthful there. And it leads to, well, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. So back again to what I was saying, you know, when I interview, I say if it, to the person, if you're not willing to do this, hire another coach. I'm not here to chat. I'm not here once a week to listen to you talk about, gee, my boss doesn't like me or I think they're being unfair. My question is going to be, what are you going to do about it? What mm-hmm. part of this problem do you own? Mm-hmm. And so they have to build an action plan and share it with people. Now, there's nothing totally unconventional about that. The sharing it, yes, is. Most coaching, historically, has been very clandestine. Coach, coachy, nobody knows you're working with them. Very often, I'll say to somebody that I'm working, or somebody I'm working with, they'll say, you know, uh, I have a colleague who's working with a coach. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they seem to like it. Really? Okay. What are they working on? Gee, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. So, you know, you're kind of hoping that people are going to recognize what you're doing. Right. My clear message to people is, you know, cognitive dissonance sets in. Once I think you're a micromanager and a blowhard and you don't really listen to anybody else, Mm -hmm. then it's got to be your way. I'm looking for everything that you do to reinforce that belief. Mm. So one of our key behaviors is you got to manage your behavior and perception in parallel. Mm-hmm. So after we put the action plan together and they share it with people, they create a daily sheet. What are you going to do? What are you going to look for an opportunity to do every day? Hmm. Might be defer to somebody else's point of view. Mm-hmm. Build off of somebody else's idea before I tell mine. Make a conscious choice not to feel that I need to add value here. Look for an opportunity to say, good job. Mm-hmm. really be able to track your own, become more cognizant of your own behavior. Then on a monthly basis, you have to check in with people and see if they're noticing it. I got an email today. I'll read to you from, okay. from a coach saying, where is this? Stakeholder follow-up. I'm working with a leader that's been uh, really sporadic with following up with the stakeholders. When I ask him about it, he says that other leaders are doing the same thing, and they all say that it's too busy. they're too busy to do it. It's been an acceptable practice now with other leaders in the organization and their other coaches. What should I do? This is simple. I, when somebody says to me, I teach somebody right at the beginning, Here's how you follow up on a monthly basis with people. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've just come out of a meeting and you're walking down the hall. Joe is one of your stakeholders. You say, Joe, 
you know, as one of my stakeholders, you know that I'm working at collaborating more effectively. And part of that is, you know, looking for opportunities to build off of other people's ideas. You know, you, you articulate something in the action plan. Mm-hmm. And you say to them, not have I gotten better? You say, have you noticed the difference? Love that. Have you noticed the difference? Mm-hmm. Now, the first time the person may say, gee, you know, I really haven't. Say, fair enough, we're just getting going on this. I'm going to be asking you this periodically. What have you told that person to do? Pay attention. I shared my plan with you. I asked you to, you know, become familiar with it. And, you know, you're going to be evaluating me two or three times with a mini survey over the next year. You know, so, you know, I'm doing what people have asked me to do. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is any suggestions moving forward? No, no, just keep doing what you're doing. Now, how long does that conversation take? Two minutes or less? Yes. So I've had leaders say, I've just been too busy to follow up. Mm -hmm. My response is, don't insult me. (laughs) Don't insult me. You told me this was on a scale of one to ten that this is this. The importance of this is a nine. Right. You're going to tell me you didn't have time to do it and it takes two minutes. Just tell me it's not important or you're too frightened or you think it's a waste of time. But don't insult me and tell me. You didn't have the time. Just tell me it's not important. Right. I right. love saying that to an executive right <laughs> at the beginning. I've had people say, well, nobody's ever talked to me this way. I said, well, I'm not anybody. I'm That's here a- to help you get better at what you pick to get better at. Right. So, you know, I'm going to get back to this, you know, coach and say, well, I'll tell him just what I told you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But most coaches don't want to confront people. Right. Oh, I have no coaches want to be liked. No, you know what? Okay, now you're preaching to the preacher because I, you know what? I I sing that song myself, Chris, and I, it's all about respect and it's about integrity. And so, you know, being, being respected for knowing, sorry, being respected for what people know that you're integral with will always supersede the importance or the relevance of being liked. Like is, it's almost like a superficiality. In fact, one of my blogs that's coming out this weekend in my newsletter, it's, you know, it's a compliment if people look upon you, characterize you or deem you to be an acquired taste. Because if everybody likes you, if everybody's high-fiving you and everybody's your cheerleader, then that to me is an indicator. I got to start questioning, what am I perceivably doing wrong here? What am I doing wrong here that everybody likes me? Because maybe I'm too concerned with placating people as opposed to stepping up and doing what people have hired me to do. And I don't ever want to be that coach. I don't ever want to be that coach because that's not coaching. Be a friend and go out for coffee, but don't say you're a coach. That's not coaching. Don't say you're a coach. Well, look, we've created a culture where parents want to be their kid's best friend. I know. I know. It's right? Instead of saying, <laughs> look, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went back. I said, you know, I don't think anybody wrote that intro, the, the teachers of mine from high school. Right. Uh, you know, I don't ever remember. And I got in lots of trouble in, in, in high school. You know, I mean, just. So did I. That, you know, and everything else. <laughs> I don't ever remember my parents taking my side. Right. I don't, you know, I mean, it was not, it, 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 it was a fait complete. If the teacher said I did this, I did it. I could, and I knew better than to even try to make an argument. Too many parents today take the side of their kid right. over anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it, it's just backwards. Right. Back, but now here's, a, here's an interesting thing. You say you're doing something about that. I'll, I, I, one of my questions I'll ask somebody is I'll say, would you rather be respected yep. or liked? Yep. What do 98% of people say? 
liked. No, no. They will say respected. Well, they will say respected, but that's not congruent with the reality of, you no. know, they want to okay. be liked. Okay, but you didn't hear my question. I said, when I say to somebody, a leader yes. in an organization, would you rather be respected or liked? Respected, They're going to say course. respected. Yes. But if you had a camera on them in the entire workday, you would see behavior to get the point you just made of wanting to be liked. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if they're saying what, they know what to say. Yeah. They know what to say. Mm -hmm. Most people know what to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they just don't do it. Uh-huh. Right. We all know how to get in shape. We all know how to lose weight. Uh-huh. Now you got to do it. Absolutely. You got to uh, do it. And what are you going to do? You want to get in shape? Okay. If you're going up three flights of stairs, don't take the elevator walk. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you can multitask all day long. Instead of having a bag of potato chips, have an apple. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, there's things that we all know. You could, you could ask a third grader. You could put a piece of chocolate cake in front of them and an apple and say, which of these is healthier for you? 98% mm -hmm. of the third graders will point at the apple. Mm -hmm. And then say, which one, would you, which one do you want to eat? And 100% of them are going to go the cake. the cake. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know it's, not, it's not a judgment. It's just a fact. Yeah, absolutely. So now, that, now you're back to the courage of doing that and then the discipline. The mm -hmm. discipline to follow through. You put a plan together and said, hey, these are the things I'm going to do in order to build trust and treat people with respect or collaborate or delegate or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and companies now are starting to look and say, what are the things we're teaching people? Situational leadership, Stephen Covey's seven habits, the grow mm -hmm. model, uh, Brene Brown. I love when somebody's done Brene Brown. and they Oh, say, she's awesome. She's Vulner awesome. Vulnerability but, is a strength. Well, and, and, and so when somebody says to me, well, you know, and I'll say, okay, what have you done over the last week to put yourself in a vulnerable position? Mm -hmm. You get dead silence. Yeah. <laughs> what have you done right and then when somebody says to me well what are some examples well here's one speak truth to power yes speak truth to power yeah now let's not be stupid let's say your company says well you know diversity is our strength mm -hmm. and i don't disagree with that mm -hmm. but if you were to say based upon my book the new iq and all that is that your opinion or do you have some empirical data to back it up right well, don't you think diversity is a strength? <laughs> I've had, you know, I had somebody that was going on a diversity for a Fortune 50 company, you know, said to me, I'm going on this committee and I really like the way you think and the questions you ask and everything else. And, you know, I want to add value. This is a very senior, you know, group. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I said, well, you know, all over your webpage, you have diversity as our strength. What if you were to say, how, how so? Mm -hmm. What evidence do we have of that? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's plenty of evidence. Cite something for me. Right. Cite something for me. You know, uh, and I said, well, don't you think diversity is a strength? And I said, don't answer my question with a question. <laughs> you know, I'm asking you. Right. I'm asking you. Now, do I think diversity of thinking is a strength? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But how many companies get into group think? Back mm -hmm. to a point you made before. If, if, you know, if everybody's thinking alike, then somebody's not thinking. Absolutely. Big time. Big time. How, how do you encourage? How do you encourage 
you know, I teach argumentation. To, 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 part of what I do is, is coaching is teach argumentation. Mm-hmm. Claim, evidence, inference, warrant. They're the four components of argumentation. Somebody makes a claim. Mm-hmm. You know, we should split this group into two divisions. That's a claim. Mm-hmm. Okay. What evidence? What's our desired result? What do we want it to accomplish? Oh, don't you agree with me? I'm just asking you some questions. You know, how'd you come to that conclusion? What evidence do you have? Examples, statistics, tangible objects, eyewitness, social consensus, common knowledge, shared values, shared historical understanding, precedent. As soon as somebody says to me, well, this is the way we've always done it. I say, so your argument, your, your, your evidence to defend the claim it's is based on it's always precedent. been that way. Yes. And that's uh, based on precedent. Right. How's that been working for us? <laughs> It's pretty archaic. Let's you know, I mean, yeah. it, well, but, but if you can't, and I teach people how to do that instead of saying, right. that's a stupid idea. Right, right. So, I mean, the executives I work with say, boy, this argumentation stuff is really good. It is. And one of my standard questions that somebody will put right in a daily sheet to say, you know, when somebody makes a claim to say, well, is that your opinion? Mm-hmm. Or do you have some empirical data to back it up? I like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I just haven't been able to connect the dots in a way, the inference part of it, to be able to justify that claim. What have you found? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, let me think about it a little more. People make claims all the time mm-hmm. that they want people to agree with. Why do politicians only get in front of sycophants? Right. You know, mm-hmm. don't ask them hard questions. They're speaking to the people that love them. And I don't care whether you're talking about Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, the, the Trump. It don't matter who they are. They mm-hmm. get in front of people. And these the, the things they call on television debates, are, it's lunacy. <laughs> what, a minute, a minute to, 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 to talk about a soundbite. It's not a debate. I was on a debating team. Yeah. You each take two. You take one side of the global warm. Humans are creating global warming or it's a natural process. You take one side or the other. Right. Yeah, what you got judges the chicken or the egg? Yes, I mean, I, you know. Yeah, uh, and I, I love when people say to me, "Well, I thought you agreed with me." Mm-hmm. My response is, "Well, maybe I do agree with you. I'm just interested in knowing how you came to that decision." Mm-hmm. Connect the dots for me. Well, I think I think one of the good strategic, and I certainly try to implement this, and I do this a lot with, uh, you know, asking questions of my guests each week, is I sometimes, depending on what it is we're talking about, I will say I'm going to go right into playing devil's advocate because, you know, I think the good a good quality interview or really dissecting the truth or really going deep with somebody is somebody not knowing what your position is on something because, again, going back to the respect versus the like, you know, particularly when people are looking at your relationship, it doesn't matter that you've deconstructed it and you're not making it high, um, hierarchy based. You're basically saying, you know, we're both students here, but perhaps I have a little bit of extra skills in which to navigate your journey a little bit better. But, you know, people feel, automatically step into that role. Well, if I know what Chris is already um pre-wired to think if I already know what his position is on something and I want to be liked by Chris I want to be Chris's best client then I'm going to gear my response according to what I suspect Chris wants me to say right so I really I I like it when people don't have a clue in many cases what it is I purport to believe in because then the truth comes out for what your client actually subscribes to so if you were to say to somebody look 
as we get into this, I, you know, I think we have different points of view on this. Can we agree up front that we're here to get the best decision for the company and our customer that we can? Mm. You know, you put a little preamble on the front. You know, you come to some agreement on what can we agree on? Yeah. You know, and I'm going to listen to you. And, I, you know, now, the best debaters, the best debaters really learn the other side's argument. Yes. And what are the strengths of the other side's argument? What are the weaknesses of the other side's arguments that I might mm -hmm. be able to exploit? I'm talking about a pure debate. Yeah. You know, a pure debate. On my side, I have to look and say, okay, what are the strengths of my argument? What are the weaknesses of my argument? Where are the soft points? And what if somebody's skilled enough on the other side to probe? Mm -hmm. How am I going to respond to when they ask me blah, blah, blah? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't find good evidence to back that up. You know, uh, you know, how do you do that? But again, again, I, w I spent eight years with the Jesuits. I mean, if there was anything, you know, in the debating and all of that is they taught me how to think. Yeah. And to think critically. Yes. I believe that to a large extent is becoming a lost skill. Just oh, like in colleges, now you got safe zones. If if I say anything negative about you, you can call me up on what whatever trumped up charge you want. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kids aren't hearing both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says to me, well, how do you broaden your thinking? That's a great question. It is a great question. And I say, subscribe to a thoughtful publication mm -hmm. that infuriates you. Right. Right. I don't mean just listen to MSNBC and Fox <laughs> and this and that. I mean, there's just too much false, false, false stuff out there. Right. And we know that. And, yeah. and this is coming from somebody who, you know, three years ago, when we were talking about the deep state and all that other stuff I thought in the U.S., I said, nah, I don't buy that. But it's mm -hmm. become eminently clear to me as I've listened to both sides. Mm hmm. To, to just absolute misinformation. And this is, again, politicians hoping you have an ignorant public. Device. Yes. Yeah. An ignorant. And yeah. I don't say that in a pejorative sense. I'm just saying, you know, and, and again, in defense of the average person, they don't live in a cerebral world. They don't read all the stuff that other people read and everything mm -hmm. else. So, you know, they're going out to work. They're coming home. They're dealing with their kids. They might watch the nightly news. So, you know, to quote, you know, to quote um, uh, 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 George Orwell. If mm -hmm. you control the language, you control people's thinking eventually. Mm -hmm. And if you think of all of the all of the words that we've made politically incorrect to say, right? All of a sudden, people don't say those words, and you take a generation or two, and all of a sudden, it's it's people just won't. They're unwilling to confront you. Mm -hmm. Or to have an interesting debate if you just don't agree with them. And again, when somebody can't make a, a coherent argument on their side, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm talking business or anything, mm -hmm. ask the question. Yeah. I can't tell you how many executives have said to me, you know, when I say to somebody when they make, I'm, I'm, I say, listen for claims. Mm -hmm. And if you want to practice that, watch, watch an Anderson Cooper Watch mm -hmm. a Tucker Carlson, watch mm -hmm. a, a Rachel Maddow, and listen to the claims that are made. Mm -hmm. And start to cut, well, just jot them down so that you, you, you clue yourself into claims that people are making. Right. And then see what, what evidence mm -hmm. are they using to back it up? Mm -hmm. What evidence is there? How are they connecting the dots? Right. Yeah, why would I listen to Leonardo DiCaprio talk about global warming? Mm -hmm. What's his subject matter? Somebody wrote the script for him. Right. 
right? <laughs> I, I, you know, you know, I'm not saying he's wrong, but why would you give somebody like that, right, the credit? Well, I, I not a scientist. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate with that because I, I there's a lot of what you're saying that I has true credibility and merit, but I think if we sway it towards the population, mainstream media, and the consumption of where people's attention is directed towards, he is going to have more influence with a lot of people than a Greta, right? Because he's you know he's he's Hollywood. a movie star. He's a movie star. So he's, he's, a he's a, no, 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 no. But if you want, you know, and I will say this, I, I, when you see people who are in the arts and people who are notable on the stage of theater and acting and, you know, they, they have credibility in that domain. Now, I understand on one side of the fence, it's like, okay, but does that qualify them to be an expert in other fields of expertise? Absolutely not. But we know that we live in a society, it's, it's mainstream culture. So if you're going to get people who are at least going to entertain uh, a perspective because it's coming out of the mouth of somebody who's on Titanic, then you know what? If that's the only way they're going to get the other side of the story or a way to, or a way to contemplate different perspectives. So I see that, you know, people are doing good with their their celebrity. And, and I give people that. But do I confuse myself in the listening or taking that in and, and filtering it through as they're the automatic expert? Absolutely not. But most people in our society can't think that critically. Uh, well, I totally agree with everything you said. Yeah. Totally. So, yes. Uh, and again, it's like getting an athlete yeah. to talk about, you know, uh, raising children or, you know, domestic, domestic uh, abuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah who, who's, yeah, just because somebody's a celeb, well, would you listen to the guy next door who's a plumber mm -hmm. talk about doing heart surgery? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, well, because he read a magazine. Well, I'll, I'll even go, okay, and I'm, this is my show, so I can say this stuff, but I'm even, and again, people can think that this is my position or just think I'm playing devil's advocate as a strategy to go deeper. You know, it, it's almost like saying, if we're using uh, Leonardo as example and your example about the heart surgery, it's like, you know, it, you know, are we looking to Trump as somebody who's really presidential, Right. Or is this just some actor in an office, you know, having having more fun with the, the tweets and the, the tabloids? And you know what I mean? Like he's a character where everybody's a character in some capacity, fulfilling some role, whether it's a self-inflated little story, fairy tale. And they want to go on the ride and see who else is going to like eat this stuff up. I mean, people are gobbling this stuff up and they're going like, I think people just love drama. I think, you know, I think, I think reality has become non-reality and people are really having, it's a slippery slope now and people are having a hard time going, what is real? So yeah, we use the, 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 the catchphrase of sound bites and, and fake news and whatnot. I don't think people know the difference between fake news and fake news and real news and real news and fake news and real news. It's become all the same. Well, the internet has structurally changed the world. Yes. It just structurally changed the world. I mean, you used to have three networks, that, and that's what you watched, and a couple of newspapers and, and everything else. Now anybody can be a journalist out there doing what they're doing. What they're doing. Yeah. So, again, so, but again, let's define leadership. Mm -hmm. Leadership mm -hmm. is simply the ability to influence somebody to do what it is you want them to do. 
True. That's all. And so if it's getting uh, a Meryl Streep or uh, a Leonardo DiCaprio or a Robert De Niro or whatever, and and, and, and you're a fan of their movies mm-hmm. or, or, or a Tom Brady quarterback or whatever, if, 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 if you like that person and they say something and you can get them to go in the direction you want, then you look to hire a celebrity. Well, yeah, but I, I, I would actually want to tighten up the, the definition of influence then, because if it's loosened, if it's too loose, then it could be perceivably interpreted as brainwash. I think influence comes with actual substantial impact, right? Well, when you say substantial impact, was Hitler a great leader? Uh, he was influential, yes, but he was corrupt. He was, he was, he was. Okay, by our definition, but certainly in the, in the early 1930s, uh, uh, you know, he, he influenced an entire nation. Yes, he did. educated people because of the Treaty of Versailles and what was going on and everything else. And the Jews yeah. created the problem and everything else. He influenced the nation to do exactly what they did. So, you know, it's easy to take a look and say, well, if this leader agrees with me, they're a great leader, or we look back and we say this or that. But the reality is, uh, to quote Cicero, you know, Mm -hmm. what's a great leader? Mm -hmm. A bedrock of principles, a strong moral compass, a vision for where you want to go, and the ability to communicate that vision in a way that you get other people to follow you. Love that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so again, but on the other hand, how many great leaders, how many leaders and companies have taken them right down the toilet? Very true. Making bad decisions. Very true. Companies that companies that were in the Fortune 500, you know, 20, 30 years ago, don't exist today. Mm-hmm. Codex, Codex saw digital photography coming in. Right. Nobody was able to influence the company to get out of, you know, selling film and processing film. Well, Jeffrey Hazlett tried. I'll tell you that. Well, <laughs> you know, again, trying is one thing. Right. It's like me saying to somebody, uh, you know, I put, you know, when people, okay, here we we can add. I think we're running up against time. But when people use the word "try," okay, well, that's my word. Culture. He he didn't he didn't try. He did beyond try. But I mean, you've got to have well, people to buy well, into that as well, right? You got to you but, have to okay. Keep... When I say try, when somebody says I tried, I say okay, well, you tried. Uh, I'm not here to judge it. Let me ask you: on a scale of one to 10, 10, 10 being I cannot imagine doing anything different than I did. Uh, looking back on a one being, well, a sort of random chance. Where, in terms of effort, where would you would categorize that try? If we're using the Jeffrey Hayslet example with Kodak, yeah, I would say it was. I mean, it didn't Not, work if out. Were, if you were to ask him that. Oh, he'd probably say a 12 or a 15. And still wasn't able to get the. And, and again, I mean, once somebody's gone so far back to the tipping point, once you've passed the point of no return. Right. You know, and everybody's, everybody's personal, to quote Adam Smith, we're all looking out for our own self-interest. No, but the, thing is, but, the, but the thing is, he was, he was a visionary in the fact that he saw steps ahead of what the company should have seen as a cohesive whole. And so when you've got people who years after the fact, because it becomes extinct, who go back to you and say, we were really foolish not to have listened to you, then, you know, not that he needed that confirmation because the reality of it dying out was was proof in the pudding itself. And you know what, Chris, we're going to have to bring you back onto the show because your bio <laughs> took up way too much time. <laughs> your credentials took up way too much time here. <laughs> 
Well, we can just we can abbreviate that next time. No, I look. I enjoy having these conversations. I'm glad you taped it. I hope it's. I hope it's. It's 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 effective for all of Absolutely. us. It, it gets out there and everything but else. But very quickly, uh, very quickly, Chris, I want to yeah. give you an opportunity. Where can people connect with you for those who want to participate and sign up and get an initial consult to see if they're a good synergistic fit for the count uh, for the for the model here? Okay, the uh, two web pages. One stakeholdercenteredcoaching.com. All one word. Okay. Stakeholdercenteredcoaching.com or Christopher Coffee, C O F F E Y dot com. Uh, again, all one word, Christopher Coffee. Either Fantastic. of those, do a contact me and, uh, you know, say you heard me on, you know, uh, uh, on your show and, uh, you know, we'll schedule a time to talk. Fantastic. And we'll certainly have you back, but with the reduced condensed bio so we can get more of this in the yummy stuff. Your stuff's yummy. All of it's yummy. But listen, well, I just want to say, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just answer questions when they get when they get thrown at me. And uh, I'm yeah. a garbage can full of different information and stories and what Aren't have we you. all? So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's all extemporaneous for me. And I would love to do another one. Fantastic. Uh, now, now I, I, my, my guy who runs the, my social media, Monty Brewer, who actually does it for Marshall, too. Uh, I would like him to be able to contact whomever, whatever, find out when it's going to be done. We'll you figure know. it all out. We'll figure okay. it all out. You don't need to worry about that. But I got to wrap up here. So, Chris, okay. I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your hectic schedule for uh, joining myself and the global listeners and the podcast subscribers on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. To the listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedule for tuning into Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Until next week, when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest, I want to say all my best. Take care, love and gratitude. Thanks again. Take care, Chris. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and AHA That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.